Uh, I always like to pray before I get started. Those of you that are new uh, won't know that. Those of you that have been here a long time know exactly, probably could repeat my prayer. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. So, dear God, we just come before you right now, Lord, and I am so grateful to be a part of, of this church and your church, Father God. And I just pray right now that you just be with us here today, Lord. Whatever is true that I'm going to say, Lord, seal it up in our hearts. Whatever is false, let it fall by the wayside. Uh, God, I just pray right now that the power of your Spirit would be so present within us here today. Lord, I know that uh, the hearts and minds of many are heavy with fear and anxiety and uncertainty, Father God, but in the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I just come against any of the enemy's tactics that he may have targeted our families and our body of Christ here with this morning. And Lord, we just loose the power of your Holy Spirit upon this earth, upon this room right now, that you'll eradicate all those, those fears and how the enemy just plays in our mind with what's going on in the world around us. And Lord, we just loose your hope and we loose your joy. And we ask God that your name would be honored and glorified here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I am going to talk a thousand miles an hour here this morning, all right? I've got a ton of information, uh, so just buckle up, hold on, we'll get through it, but uh, I promise it's going to, well, I don't know if it's going to be good. I promise I'm going to try and make it good. Your interpretation is entirely up to you, but we're closing out our series called Raising Adults, and it's been, uh, it's, we do a family series every single summer. Um, Matt has done a fantastic job. If you have not been here the last two weeks, you've got to go back and listen to it, because I don't have anywhere near enough time to do a recap. I'm going to repeat several things that he said, but we're going to look at them from a different context. He looked at them much more from a cultural and generational standpoint. I'm going to look at it from how does it impact us as an independent individual, all right? And so if you weren't here, I'm going to build 100% off of what he said, uh, verses, passages, and everything. Um, so if you don't like what I said or say today, uh, please go back and watch it, compare it to what, we, uh, what I'm saying today, and then tell me you don't like what I said, all right? So that's the gig. Uh, so if you weren't here, go back and watch it because we're going to repeat uh, a lot of, we're just building off of the foundation of what he said the last two weeks. Today, I'm going to be talking about the stages of independence, all right? Because as we go along, as we raise children and we try to raise adults into that child, from childhood to adulthood, what does that look like? There's different stages of independence in that child's life all along the way. And so that's what we're going to be discussing here this morning as we try and help the, our children develop into disciplined adults, all right? So in your life, as you walk in through here this, this morning, you might think, well, I don't even have any kids. Well, that's perfect, all right? You can still be an influence upon the next generation. And here's the deal. You can be a good influence or you can be a bad influence. It's really up to you. Because what happens is, I don't know, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't raise your hand, all right? Uh, but there are, we all have examples of those individuals when we were little that we didn't like being around, right? And then we have those other examples of those people that we couldn't wait to go see, right? Guess what? They may or not have had any kids. You might be an aunt or an uncle or a brother or a sister or a, a, a volunteer or a, a coach or a teacher, and you don't have any children of your own, but you're making an impact in the next generation. And so you don't have to be a parent in order to get something out of this. In fact, I'd strongly contest that we're all making an impact upon the next generation, whether we want to be or not. All right. So it's important for us to understand what we're talking about. Now, I will say just a quick moment, as you walk out through those doors, 
There's a, our, at our information booth, if you want to know more about our children's ministry, our family ministry, uh, there'll be a couple volunteers there. Uh, where if you want to get signed up to serve or you want more information about serving, investing your time, if you've been here for the last two weeks, intentional uh, gumballs into the time of the next generation, uh, then sign up out there. You can sign a little form. We've got all that out there for you. But take a stop at the uh, information booth and find out more about how you can intentionally invest in the next generation, all right? Uh, or just get more information about what we do at, as a church here. But we do that because what we want you to be able to do is whether you're a parent, a volunteer, a coach, a teacher, it doesn't really matter. We want you to be able to make a difference in the life of the next generation. And there's a few things that I want to go through today in order to make sure that we do that with great intentionality. And so the first thing we have to do is set the table. All right. So you've got to set your table. All right. This is my table up here. Um, and so uh, while we're setting our table, and you'll see how this goes, all right? This, imagine this table, it's just, a, it's just an example, okay? It's not real, all right? It's an example of your life, all right? Not just your physical table at your house. Everything that you do in your home, okay? So that's the best thing to, to understand with this. But to also understand, we're defining our ingredients. What are we putting into our homes? And then you have to define your outcomes. What are your desired outcomes? So let me paint a picture of this, all right? So last week or the last few weeks, Matt's been talking about uh, these, these two jars, right? So this one represents the 3,000 hours that we have as parents, all right? This one directly reflects the home. If you're a parent and you have children, from zero to 18, you have about 3,000 hours a week, uh, a week, a year uh, to invest in your children, all right? And your children's lives. And that's not including bedtime or eating time or, or school time. That's 3,000 hours of of extra time that you can invest intentionally in your child's life. This represents the 20, about the 20 hours that you consistently come to church, and we uh, intentionally invest those hours in your life as well. Now, some of you that come every week, obviously that'd be about 52 hours, right? Reality is, based upon church attendance in the country, it's about 20. All right, so that's why that one's smaller, but we use gumballs to represent, we, we're very intentional about these hours. While your kids are over there, we're very intentional about what we're doing with them right now, and you're going to see that in a moment, and that's what I'm going to really be talking about. Now, my personal table, I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but my children, uh, my, our children, not mine, Stacy and I, my wife and I have been married 24 years. We have set our table, all right? We've been doing this about 22 years now, all right? And uh, in, in the car rides, we read like the American Heritage, um, the role of pastors and Christians in civil government. They loved it. It put them to sleep, all right? Um, <laughs> The most recent one we watched was DNA battles, all right? We, we learned about mitochondrial DNA and how that affects our lives. And you, and you might think I'm joking, but I'm not. Um, so then, you know, if you want to learn about neuroscience, you can study Dr. Caroline Leaf. And, and we, this is Playing for Keeps by Reggie Joyner, all the curriculum that we talk about. So books are a big part of it. Oh, and we can't miss football. Um, or a little bit of TV, right? And this is good old Jace, you know, Bobblehead Jace and Duck's Dynasty. Or a little bit of Disney, you know, Olaf, my favorite character. Um, you know, I could, I could come up here and I could set the table. Oh, C.S. Lewis, that was also, we'd listen to books in the car, um, even as adults. And you see, we're 66,000 hours into this table, okay? 66,000 hours into this table at our home. Now, we haven't done everything right, but we've been very intentional, and you want to know the cool thing about these 66,000 hours? They're going to keep coming 
because my children may leave the home, but they keep bringing new people. I have two son-in-laws coming into my house now, and then I'll have grandkids. Yeah. And so my table just keeps getting bigger. And if you think I'm going to stop investing intentionally, you're off your rocker. All right. Now, our conversation around the table has changed dramatically over the years dramatically because at each level each stage of life i've had to to change what this looks like stacy's changed what it looks like each one of us have a different personality that we bring to the table but it's been very intentional because we've had one outcome we've had one desired outcome for our girls is that they love the lord their god with all their heart soul and mind that's the only thing we've ever wanted what they do that's an ingredient and it's never been the focus because what they do, imagine this is just a foundation of the Bible, all right? What they do needs to reflect the glory of God in their life. That's all they've seen modeled in our lives, and we've had a whole lot of fun along the way, all right? Because it wasn't all just sitting around holding hands and singing Kumbaya, my Lord, all right? That didn't happen, trust me, believe me, I wouldn't have sat there very long, all right? So um, it has to be, it was, it was spirit-filled, and that's what I want you to impart here today, because it's not about my table, it's about your table. You guys all have your own table at your home. You all have your own ingredients, and maybe some of them haven't been as intentional as you want them to be, but there's always time to, there's always time to do that. So I've got uh, some verses that we want to read here today. It's the same verses that Matt read last time. I'm going to look at them a little bit differently this morning. I added a couple just because I think, uh, I don't know if you were trained or taught by your parents to always ask why, but my dad always taught me to ask why, and so whenever I read anything in the Bible, I always like, well, why do I got to do that? And so then I keep reading, and God always answers, all right? And so um, as we read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, this is this is the great Shema. This is what was read to the early church, and this is the best parenting advice the, the Bible has for us, all right? Deuteronomy 6, four, it's actually 4 through uh, 12, and it says this, listen, Israel, and so listen, journey. There's going to be six commands, six action points that uh, God wants us to take here. Listen, journey. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love God with your mind, body, and spirit, all right? All your heart and soul there, your heart there is your seat of emotions. It's your psyche. Um, so that's what that means in that verse. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, your mind, your psyche. Repeat them. Second, listen and then repeat. So first it's got to get in us, and then once it's in us, then repeat them to who? Your children, the next generation. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road or drive down the road and when you lie down and when you get up. This is the how and the where, okay? When and, when and where are we supposed to do that? Keep going. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. All right, this really just, it means it guides the way that we think. It guides everything that we do. God should be, God being one, God being Lord should be the reason about everything that we set this table for. Everything. It's got to point back to God. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This identifies ownership. When we write them on a, when, it, when you wrote it on the doorpost, that meant that was owned by that owner, right? That, that piece of property is that owner's property. Well, when we write his word on our doorpost of our heart, of our lives, he owns us. And so we do all these things. We bind, we write. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give to you a land with large and beautiful cities that you didn't even build. 
Houses full of every good thing that you didn't fill them with. Wells dug that you didn't dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. And when you eat and when you are satisfied, why do we do this? Why do we bind, write, listen, repeat? To be careful not to forget the Lord. Because He knows that we're humans and we're subject to thinking we did all that hard work and it paid off and we get what we get and it was because of us and we forget that it was actually because of the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's why we do this. That's why we want you to set the table like this. It doesn't mean that you have to set it exactly like us, but it does mean that from 0 to 18, or actually all of life, we think this is the passage that we should be building our lives upon. It's all about who is God in our lives? Does he own us? Are we repeating them? Are we telling them to the next generation? Are we saying them to each other? So Matt, uh, if you were here last week, came up with the rule, all the time and everywhere, right? All the time, everywhere. All the time, everywhere. And that's what, uh, how, when are we supposed to do it? And where? That's what the table should look like. That's your table. So what does that look like in your life, and how does it impact us neurologically? How does that impact us as an individual? How does that impact us on a daily basis and the children that are coming into our homes? That's what we have to be thinking about. So set your table with a reminder about the goodness of God all the time and everywhere. And if you weren't here, go back and listen to Matt's message because he did a really good job of, uh, of talking about that in even more detail. But unfortunately, we go to church, we come into the church, we say this, we say it's our desire, but what our kids learn and as they sit at our tables, it's often more about, well, how do I please mom and dad? Because we say it's about God, but what they learn is it's actually, how do I keep mom and dad happy? Because if I keep mom and dad happy, it makes my life happy. And so what they really learn is they learn how to be selfish, and so they really learn that it's about you, which in translates then, it's really about them. So all they have to do is keep you happy, and then when you aren't happy, then guess what? Eventually, that little mind of that little child is going to be like, well, if i got to keep you happy, you have to keep me happy. And trust me, they get that down at about two years old. <laughs> and game on. Why? Because we say this, but we don't put it into practice at home. All right, because it's about us and our children begin to dictate and rule our lives. So the second thing you have to know is who are your guests? When you set your table, who are your guests going to be? All right, and when I say who are your guests, you need to know them from a, from a societal standpoint and a generational standpoint, like what Matt was talking about last week. But we need to also know them from a developmental or a neurological standpoint. Okay, We need to know what phase of life are they going through in their mental development. Because those little children sitting around our table, sitting in our home, under our care, they're all learning life at different levels because of the stage of life they're in. All right, It happened to you and it happens to us. So the last two weeks, Matt talked in he did an incredible job talking about what's happening from a generational standpoint, right? And all the things that are going on in the world around us and how it's marking our children, okay? But today, I want you to understand from a neurological standpoint, what's happening in your child's life when they're experiencing all these things, okay? What's happening in their lives when they're experiencing all these things. So when you set your table, I want you to really be realistic. I want you to really think about I don't want it to just be words, like don't just give Sunday school answers to yourself. Oh yeah, we serve God. I want you to dig deep and say, okay, what are, what are our children really learning when we say this is what our life is all about? 
So do you want a well-behaved child or do you want a child that lives with integrity? Okay. Do you want a well-behaved child or do you want a child that lives with integrity? Because ultimately, this is kind of the driving force behind what we do when we punish or discipline our children, is the answer to this question. Now, your answer may realistically be a little bit of both. I've got to move that because I can't see over there. Um, <laughs> uh, it may be a little bit of both, and that's fine. It's just got to be your answer. But Matt talked a little bit about this, uh, uh, a lot of it about it last week. Go back and listen to it. But I want us to think about it. What do you want to see developed in their life as an individual. From a neurological standpoint, I want you to understand there's an impact that your answer to this question has upon their little brains as they develop, okay? And so, when you think about the answer to that question, I need you to understand the ingredients you're putting in are going to develop an outcome. Punishment focused upon their behavior will often lead to compliance, right? If you want to punish your kids, you can often get them to do what it is that you want. But again, that's you getting them to behave the way you want them to behave and make mom and dad happy. That's punishment. It works, all right? But discipline focused on character often leads to integrity. Now, I put the word often in there because I've done this enough. There's always an exception to every rule both ways. Um, There are, all right? Because all we can do is be responsible for what All we as parents, all we as influencers, all we as coaches can do is be responsible for the information for setting the table and what we're including in our lives. But how that individual responds is really going to be up to them. But what we're doing is we're setting the table because we want them to respond with integrity. And I'm going to tell you right now, discipline in the life of a developing individual, in the life of a brain, neurologically speaking, discipline is going to yield far greater results than behavior modification by punishment. Now, you might get immediate results by punishment, and it's a long-term play when you're going with integrity. But I'm going to tell you right now, as an adult, you're going to be far better served by a child living with integrity than a person that's learning how to hide all their actions. Because let me just tell you something. If it's all about behavior, they're just going to learn how to lie to you. All right? They're going to learn how to mask it. Just think about yourself. How, how honest were you at home when you were a kid growing up if you knew you were going to get in trouble? You weren't. You'd learned how to hide it better. All we do is learn how to, we push them deeper into the darkness so that they don't get exposed. That's what punishment does. I want them to have a life of integrity, so I had to, I had to reveal the light. There was no punishment when there is bad character, okay? I wanted them to learn how to overcome that integrity based on a life of, or overcome bad character over, by good integrity, all right, and that's it's a major problem in the world today. But unfortunately, we become far more concerned with our children's behavior than what it is that they're actually than rather who they are. We're far more concerned about how people see them because what it really means is that's how people see us. See, we go back to what we're really teaching the kids is it's not about God, it's about us. We're just teaching them selfishness. We just say it's, we're in charge, so you do it my way, right? We have to be careful about what we're actually teaching them. So when we model this correctly, there's a transformation, all right? When I, I really believe that when we do this correctly, there's a transformation that happens in us, all right? Remember, Deuteronomy 6, it's first got to get in us first, right? And then, and then it gets into, a tr- into our children. So that transformation is modeled in our lives, all right? Matt talked about Romans chapter 12. I'm going to use the same chapter and verse um, because it goes along with us this morning. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's that 
ownership. God actually owns what we do. Holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. To let him own our lives, that is our true and proper worship. Keep going. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. And Matt talked, uh, did a great job talking about what that conformity looks like. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a neurological process that literally takes place when God invades our heart. And that's what we want to lead our children to is that, that transformational piece where God literally rewrites the neural pathways from our frontal cortex to our amygdala, overriding the seat of our emotions. Okay? God can do that. God literally can change our brains. All right? We can see this on, on, in, in, in brain images and scans. This is a real neurological process that happens when we devote and give ourselves to, the, to God. And that's what we want to be modeling for our children. But too often, all our kids see is our behavior is modified. It doesn't change our character. It changes our behavior. And it's a problem. Because if we only change our behavior, people are like, well, I just want to know what to do. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. When you, when you live in union, with, in union with God, you know his mind. Because he's a part of you. We've got to teach our kids that. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We've got to be modeling this for our kids or they're never going to get it. All right? So it's got to be in us first if we're going to pass this on to the next generation. So go back and listen to Matt's message on the transformation piece. But today I want us to think about what we're, what we're seeing in the neurological stages of our life. Now, I did say that Carolyn Leaf was in here. I don't have time to go into the neuroscience of all this. All right, I do have videos. This is the mitochondrial DNA video. I've got other ones in there. Uh, but this, Dr. Caroline Leaf, if you want to know my neuroscience, neurological biases, we'll just call them that. Um, Dr. Caroline Leaf, I think, is one of the best out there. I don't agree with everything that she says. But if you want to know where I really stand on things, study her. And she has a whole, she's got a lot of information out there. So probably one of the best in the field right now. All right. But what I can do is I can break it all down and make it a lot more simple because as neurologists and every neurologist that you're going to find out there, they're going to say that there are certain things that happen within the life of a child at different stages of life in their development. Okay. Um, and based upon uh, the curriculum that we use here at Journey, all right, see how our table's being set? And we're very intentional about this. We use a curriculum called Orange. They're very intentional about the neurological stages that your children are going through so that we can maximize the effectiveness of the curriculum and the time that we have with your children so that they can experience God at a level that their brains are capable of experiencing God. And so the, the team at Orange, they have put together this curriculum based upon the neurological things that are happening in your kids' brains at the stage of life that they're in, all right? And so we have a couple things that uh, I want you just to see. The, all the neuroscience, we're going to break it down into what we call phases, all right? And so this is from Orange. This is their curriculum. In fact, Reggie Joyner wrote a book. It's just a phase. Uh, don't miss it, all right? I'd encourage you, if you're a parent, get that book. Um, it's a phase. A phase is a time frame in a child's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future, okay? Distinctive opportunities, intentional hours where you can influence their future to be a disciplined adult, right? Okay, and so let me break that down. They go on, and there's another chart, and I even have some charts back there in the, in the lobby if you want to print out of some of these things. They're in there. If you want the slide, let me know. I'll send it to you via email. Um, but these things, uh, when we do our baby dedications, we break all these out, turn them into cards. 
Um, and it tells you the different stages that your child's going to go through from zero to 18 years old. And some of the different markers that identify what that child neurologically is, is experiencing and what are the, what are the things that they're con- con- conceptualizing in that moment. How are their brains developing? Well, how are the synapses being gapped? How are the neurological pathways being created? And so each one of those stages that your child is going through is marked by different elements, all right? And so it's really important. Again, we're, we're, we know our guests who are coming to our table. We have to know what our guests are like as they come to the table. You can't treat your 18-year-old like you treated your 12-year-old. And if you are, I guarantee you, you're having problems, okay? And you can't treat your 14-year-old like you treated your 12-year-old, or I guarantee you, you're having problems, Okay? They're going through different stages. We have to know these things. We have to know who's at our table. All right? You can't treat your 22-year-old like you treated your 18-year-old. They're all at different stages and phases of their life, and we have to understand who's coming to our table. What are they bringing with them? What are the, what are the, what are the elements that they're struggling with? And folks, we don't have to be a neuroscientist to be able to figure this out. We've got people like Orange to put this all together for us. We just have to have a better understanding. We have to be intentional. We have to want to invest these hours. One of our rules at our dinner table, it wasn't, there were no devices. We weren't watching TV. We weren't on our phones. We were talking and eating and playing games, and it, we were all there together. Okay? What are you intentionally doing with the hours that you have at home? And when we talk about this, we always have to be reminded about the fact that we're raising adults while celebrating their childhood, all right? We're raising adults while celebrating their childhood. It's not about, and, and when, when we say that, you have to understand, like, when, don't get caught up. If you do get this book or you want these handouts or whatever, um, if your child is either stunted or accelerated, don't get hung up on the age. Look more upon the phase, all right? Your child's going to go through every single one of them eventually, um, but look more upon what phase they're going through to identify what it is that you need to do. But while you're doing that, it helps you celebrate their childhood, don't mourn the fact that they're getting old, because if you mourn the fact that they're getting older, they're going to be afraid of getting older. They're going to be afraid to grow up, right? They already have that fear within them. Don't make it worse. Celebrate the different stages that they're going through. Now, I don't have time to go through every single one of these stages, all right? I wish I could, but I am going to go through what I believe neurologically, and I can make a very strong argument for this. Uh, zero to four is probably one of the most imperative stages that a child goes through. Um, And I think this is where we oftentimes get our foundation messed up a little bit as our children are zero to four. Because this is where they're so cute, and this is where we fail to discipline. Um, And I've seen all kinds of theories, I've seen all kinds of practices, but the reality is uh, most of them haven't been good. Um, I had a lot of theories. I was seven years into youth ministry before I ever had a kid, Um, and so I had a lot of theories as to what I would never do. Trust me, all right? Um, and uh, and I, I'm not going to go into those. All right, but I will say there are good practices and there are bad practices, but the Proverbs give us a word of wisdom. Again, nothing is impaired, nothing is guaranteed because we can't predict how our child is going to respond to it. But Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Not punish him, discipline him. Because when we punish, we just want him to do what we want him to do. Her too, not just him and her, but our children. 
So when, we, when it says hates them, what does that really mean? This is all about authority. When, if we don't teach our children authority, they don't know how to submit. And I'm going to tell you right now, zero to four is the window of opportunity where you get your children to learn what submission to authority looks like. And every child is different. Those of you that have children know zero to four, well, they aren't submitting very well. No, they're called children of the devil, all right? <laughs> Just joking, they aren't children of the devil. They're your children, and unless you're the devil, I don't know. They might mimic your actions, which might make them the devil, but then they're just learning what they see, right? So we have to, we have to help them learn discipline at that time. But I'm going to tell you right now, I have watched a lot of parents at nauseam try and reason with a two-year-old. Neurologically, they don't reason, all right? So don't spend so much time. You're wasting your energy. You really are. Now, we used corporal punishment in our home. Zero to four. You want to know how many times I had to spank my children after four years old? Zero. Zero. It was a theory. It was a working theory I had. Worked out in my home. I don't know if it'll work in yours. You might be past four. If you, if you miss the window of opportunity from zero to four to discipline your children, I'm not saying it's horrible or it's hopeless. I'm just saying it's a lot of work. All right? If you wait to try and teach your children discipline when they get to be teenagers... I apologize, but it is going to be a lot of work, okay? And it's not hopeless, but you're going to have to go about it from an entirely different standpoint, okay? Zero to four. Let me give you a couple of neurological things that are happening as we look at our stages, our phases of life that a zero to four-year-old is going through. It's the most impressionable of all stages, all right? They have 100 billion neurons going on in their brain right then. 100 billion, more than at any other time in the development of their life. 100 billion neurons. By the time they reach four years old, they have a quadrillion connections happening. A quadrillion connections. Your neuron transmitters are connecting information. That's twice the number of an adult and what an adult has going on. Twice. All right? They're little sponges, and they're absorbing everything. You think a processor on a computer is amazing? A little child's brain is vastly more amazing. They are processing information at speeds of incomprehensible rates, okay? So don't miss that window of opportunity. It's, a fast, it's an amazing opportunity. But you want to know something else? It can be a little bit fearful. And my concern with our society right now, and, and I'm, I'm not going to make this political, but I'm going to tell you right now, the fear that we are instilling in our zero to four-year-olds right now, we are going to pay consequences for that exponentially when they're 30 years old. By the time they reach adulthood, the fear that we are instilling into our society is devastating, and I'm, we're going to pay for it. We're going to mark my words. Uh, what we see happening in schools and children's lives right now is, is, is sickening to me, and we've got to understand that. I get it. We have a problem. We've got a pandemic, but we don't need to make it worse, and we're, 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 destroying, we're destroying brain cells in our children by the way that we're responding in this to fear. Um, so we've got to instill hope. There's got to be hope. We, we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope, right? We've got to be able to learn how to communicate hope in our homes. We've got to set our tables with hope and joy, not fear and despair. Because I'm going to tell you, it's, it's ruining our hearts and our trust in Jesus Christ right now. All right, we've got to be aware of that. So when, you've got to, when you leave these doors and you start setting your table, you've got to understand you've got to intentionally set your table 
all the time, everywhere, because your children, I just did zero to four. There's neurological things happening all the way through. In fact, our brains, according to neuroscience, don't stop developing until between 26 to 30 years old. Okay? So it's, it's going on. It's always happening. We've got to be intentional at every phase of the way. All right? So as your children grow up, all right, as they grow up, we, we need to make sure that they, aren't, that they aren't the ones running our lives with their, with their development of their brain. Okay? And, and here's what I mean by that. So when we start thinking about are we punishing, are we disciplining, are we help, giving them the tools that they need to be able to develop into li- adults living lives of integrity, um, Think about, and just think about the last time you disciplined your child. Did you punish out of anger, or did you discipline them and give them the tools to be able to live a life of, of integrity, okay? And so what I mean by that is, parents, you may win the battles of compliance with your child. You really can, because you're bigger, okay? If you can't win the battle of compliance with your child, I don't know what to tell you, all right? Use force if you really want to punish, because you're big. They little, you big, you win, all right? That's bottom line with behavior punish, behavior modification. But that doesn't really do anything because the reality is if you have to do that, you're already lost. All right? And if that's your model, then you're going to continue to lose. And you might get them to modify their behavior, but they're still in control. You're in control of nothing because you can't control yourself. Um, real quick, uh, we were, uh, I was driving with one of my girls one time, and uh, she decided to take a 90-degree turn at about 55 miles an hour. Bad choice. Um, and I don't know how, but we made it between two signs and a fire hydrant and all that happened was a pop of a tire. She's crying. We're, and I'm like, no, no, just calm down. It's fine. Don't worry. Like I'm in control. Like I'm, I'm controlled because I've gone through accidents in my head a thousand times. How am I going to respond in a moment of crisis? Because trust me, if you're raising a kid, you're going to go through a moment of crisis. You better get prepared because it's happening. It's coming. One of my other girls drove into McDonald's drive-thru, all right? So it's going to happen, all right? Things happen, all right? So how are you going to respond? I can't believe you're driving like that. Why don't you do it? No, all right? Calm down. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's just a car. It's only... <laughs> We're okay. I turned around expecting full to see the power, the water shooting up. Nothing happened. So you want to know what I did? I got her calmed down. I went home, got her a cup of tea, put her... No. I made her get back in the car and drive us home after we got out of the ditch, all right? So why? Because I wanted her to learn, just remain calm. Now, was she upset in the moment? Yes. But you want to know what I hope she's learning? It's how to respond in a moment of crisis when she has kids. That's what I hope I'm teaching, all right? So we all have those moments. What are you teaching your children? How are, are you in control of yourself or are your children in control of you? Because if they dictate your mood, if they dictate your actions, guess who's in control? They are, not you. All right, so we have to, again, know who our guests are. And guess who one of the guests is? You. You got to know who you're bringing to the table. Are you in control? Because your kids need you to be in control. So when we look at all these ingredients, there's a couple things that we have to be aware of. You must model the desired ingredient and outcome. All the time and everywhere. If you want your kids to get this, you have to model it. Because if you don't model it, they're not going to get it. I promise you that. I promise you that. I promise you that. And the number one place that you can model this for you, and even divorced parents, hear me on this. I'm not, it's not whether you're divorced or married. The number one place where you can model what you want your kids to do is in your marriage. All right? And so even if you're divorced, it's how you treat your ex. 
all right? Because I've heard them talk about it. Well, they're just the donor, all right? How to, that, you're teaching your kids something right there, right? So what are you teaching your kids and how you treat your spouse, all right? You want to know why they yell and scream? Ah, just look at what you guys do. You want to know why they hit or punch? What do you do? You want to know why they get so upset when they fail? What do you do? You want to know why they're full of anxiety? What do you do? You want to know why they're full of fear? What do you do? They're just sponges. Our kids just mimic what we do. And now that our girls are older, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, you need to go to counseling for that. All right, so uh, what you do is teaching them more than anything you will ever say. What you're doing will teach them more than anything you will ever say. you got to be careful with that. What are you teaching them? What, is, what are your... What are you modeling for them? Are you, are you setting them up for a life full of guilt and shame and condemnation? Are you setting them up for joy and anticipation? Our conversation around the table now, it's been like, is, what do we do with the world that we have right now? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm full of hope. I've never seen a generation that wants to be more emphatic about making a difference in their world than the generation that my children are growing up in. Now, they've got a lot of work to do. All right? But I have hope that we still serve a risen God. And I have hope that he's the one that's going to bring the, a miracle. All right? And I have hope if he doesn't, that it isn't going to matter because we're going to be with him anyways. All right? So no matter what happens on the place of this earth, I'm going to make hope what our home is built upon. Because it doesn't matter what happens down here. Except for what we personally do while we're traversing this terrestrial ball. And it's temporary. So is your home filled full of hope? Now, I get it. I get it. There are, no, there are no magic formulas for all these phases, right? Okay. You can't replicate what someone else is doing. I get it. You really can't, all right? You can't replicate someone else's table, but you can use best practices because what you're bringing to the table, your heritage, your upbringing, your lifestyle, your socioeconomic situation, it's different than everybody else in here. But what is the desired outcome? What are you bringing to the table? What, are you, what, is, what do you want to set for that next generation? And here's the, here's the really cool thing about hope. We all have God on our side. He's guiding each and every single one of us. And there isn't a single story. There isn't a single one of your stories as, as you are drawing breath in this room. It is never too late. There isn't a single story unredeemable by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there might be some that have more work that are going to take. All right, I'll give you that. But there's nothing that's unredeemable. He is the great redeemer of all things, and we have to believe that at the core of our being because he really is. All right, and so I, have, I want to close with a story um, by some of you may know Byron and Leslie, um, and I just want to, where did I put it? There it is. Uh, close with this story because their story, I want you to listen to their story and, and hear uh, what they've done and how everything that we just talked about has come to life in their story. And they have a story of adoption. They bring the adoptive story of, of our redemption into Christ's family to life in this world. And if any of you, uh, anybody other, any other adopted, family, adopted parents in here? Wonderful. Awesome. Give them a round of applause. If you're an adopted family or parent, there's no... That is a beautiful picture, or I should say can be a beautiful picture because we hope. It can be a beautiful picture. It gives a beautiful opportunity for us to reflect what it is that God does for us as a loving father, okay? It's a beautiful picture of hope. That's what adoption was all designed around, and so there's, that's what their story is. So let me read it for you as we close. 
What do you do when your child has uncontrolled anger, but then beats themselves up over it constantly and struggles with feelings of defeat, feeling like they're different, or even questions why they're even born? Byron and Leslie found themselves fighting this very battle. It began very early in his life, and he grew and developed physically, but yet he increasingly struggled with fear and anxiety and frustration. Their siblings, both her and their, her brother, are blessed to be able to grow up together and have the knowledge of their circumstances surrounding their adoption. They know about their birth mother's struggle with drugs. They know that she loved them enough to choose godly parents for them. But early on, Byron and Leslie recognized that their son was experiencing greater, develop, greater difficulty developmentally. Solid foods even led to the discovery of life-threatening food allergies. And then he even struggled more emotionally. Making mistakes, being disciplined, being corrected left him filled with rage and anger, which led to feelings of failure and defeat and eventual hopelessness. Leslie knew that it wasn't an issue of defiance. She knew who was at the table. He knew he was mentally struggling for understanding and control. It was as if he were literally being tormented as he fought within himself to understand and express what was in his mind, she said. These internal battles alerted them to, a deeper, to deeper developmental issues that he was facing. So if there were a disruption of any sort, whether due to frustration or discipline or just exhaustion, it took at least an hour to try and calm him down and settle him down and return to a state of calm before they could move on with their day. This left her totally overwhelmed and exhausted, as many of you can imagine. They began to research and study the effects of drug use on unborn children, and the data is alarming. Studies have confirmed that trauma and drug use in utero blocks the development of neurotransmitters, chemical messengers that carry the signals and impulses and receptors to our muscles and regulate our various systems and our behavioral processes and our emotional responses. But thankfully, there are ways to help children develop them. Zero to four, intentional, but there's a way to help develop them. According to Leslie, so they have, they have spent a considerable amount of time working to help him build up those neurotransmitters. But before they adopted their son, she and Byron would pray a passage. They remembered they prayed a passage of Scripture over their unborn child. Zephaniah 3.17, that says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and in his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Providentially, that same verse was the inspiration of a song and a children's CD that they played in their home. They set their table with the CD that was playing over and over again. The CD was playing. She noticed that one particular song seemed to always bring peace and calm over him in these moments when the battle ensued. The words of that song were the very words of Scripture they prayed over him as he developed in the womb. The song lyrics were, He will take great delight in you, what I just read, and he will rejoice over you as singing. They recognized the power of the Word of God and truth, bringing peace and calm. Ah, this isn't even my story. <laughs> bringing peace and calm to their son in those dark, critical moments. We're all facing these dark, critical moments. The peace of God. Eventually, Byron and Leslie sought professional support and therapy to continue to help bridge the gaps in the inner working of Vance's brain and to help create helpful neural pathways. 
In therapy, what once took hours to accomplish now just takes minutes with the encouragement to utilize the skills that he has learned from his counselor. Yet as with most therapies, if any of you have ever done it, we take one step forward and three backwards. She knew she had to get more help. So as Leslie shared some of the struggles with a friend from college, her friend recommended, why don't you guys pray and fast? Why don't you pray and fast for a day? But not just you and Byron, but all of her friends, join them. That's a community. Folks, this is the church. All right. The results have been nothing short of miraculous. Their son has experienced and continues to experience actual neurological healing. Their prayers for permanent neural pathways that would benefit his processing and dealing with adverse circumstances have been answered and evidenced by a complete change for the better. He's a different child, they both say. He is experiencing a quicker rebound, recovery from moments of frustration that overwhelm him, He's filled with joy and expresses a contentment that he's never had. Of course, there are, also times, there are still times when we sense a flare-up, but they are much less extreme, and he quickly calms himself. Why? Because they were far more concerned about discipline than they were behavior. Folks, the Word of God is real. His hope is real whatever your table looks like. There is no table beyond His redemptive touch. The question is, will you build your table and your life and your influence upon the Word of God? Let's pray. Dear God, You are amazing. And Lord, I'll leave it at that. Your story needs no greater prayer. May we trust you at your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen.